Well, we are well into August for Digital Bytes and the newsletter and the podcast and everything that goes along with it. We uh, we went a little we went a little crazy with the cock horse last week, and I updated the logo. That was a rocking horse because rocking yeah, rocking rhymes horse, with, not a cock horse. It rhyme, rock rhymes with that kind of horse. So yeah, trying to be. So we should maybe this week's theme tune is "Good Morning Carolina." Because it's hot and wet where you are today, isn't it, James? It is. It's always hot and wet down here. Now, I thought the theme was going to be ABBA because you were going to be planning on... You kept rambling on about ABBA when we were talking with Timo before. That's you were like, true. ABBA, yeah. ABBA. Everybody loves ABBA. We should do. We, we should talk about that with the Metaverse one day. Although I think we may have already, but we should, we should focus on that. ABBA. You can't not have a fun conversation about ABBA. But that's not what was not in the article. Me. Now, what was in the article... I will say that's fun. It's Porsche. Porsche. It's not quite like jazz, that you are, but it's a Porsche. And, and there is, there are people out there that's, if, you know, because in America we say Porsche. Yeah, I'm going to buy it. And they go, excuse me, excuse me. It's Porsche. No, Porsche, that's the name of a girl. It's Porsche. But never mind. Never really? Mind. Yeah, you and I with our, with our words. I, I was under the impression it really is Porsche. No, it's Porsche. There's no R in the end, is there? P-O-R-S-C-H-E. Logically. Porsche. I've yeah. been corrected in the past. We should call Porsche. Yeah, call Let's Porsche and say, what is it? They're going to get into crypto. We're going to have to know how to... They're going to need an acronym. <laughs> a ticker symbol, if you will. So this week, it's it's, a, it's obviously 3rd of August um, of Digital Bytes. As you say, uh, first edition for August 2022. And we've got... Blockchain and crypto adoption in Latin America, which I know a lot of your listeners will be interested in because Cyber.fm have a big following in Latin America. As you said, we got, we're got we talking about digital assets in vehicles. And we did touch on this a couple of weeks ago. We had a number of people say, look, we'd like you to do some more examples and how else um, digital assets as opposed to really blockchain have been used in the car industry. And then we're going to have a quick look at decentralization, the next evolution of UK financial regulation, Sorry, bit of a mouthful, bit focused to Blighty. Um, and then coming up after the break, um, we have a, a special guest um, joining us. And it's uh, James Kaufman, who's a partner at Howard Kennedy. And talking about is decentralization the next evolution of UK financial regulation? So that's coming up after the break. So, James, you wanted me to talk about blockchain and crypto adoption in Latin America because Cyber.fm have got a Quite a large following down in Latin America, you tell me. You know, we do really well. We, we have a massive uh, Brazilian audience, for sure. And we also have a very important Puerto Rican audience, which is United States, but very Latin. So I guess that counts, right? I would count it. Yeah. But Brazil is our, is our biggest one. Um, of course, we always talk about El Salvador and Bitcoin, but... I could say based on our numbers that I would agree Latin America is just massive into crypto itself. Like it's 50% easy of, of our stats when we look at the map. Wow. Why, why do you reckon that is then? You know, I wish I knew because if I could speak Portuguese, I'd be able to reach out to them so, so much easier. I, they do yeah. like our rock and roll and they like our modern hop, you know, I guess the pop music, like on, on extreme, even though because it's, we have these internal conversations in terms of radio where they're not tuning into our Latin product 
as much as they do the American music. So the fact that they're being paid to earn crypto, probably a big win because Latin America is all very pro crypto and yep. they're getting American music. I, I think it's just their, their MO. They love it. Well, I can understand why Puerto Rico, you mentioned, uh, love crypto because they don't pay tax on any gains. So that's, that's pretty cool. That's correct. Um, I think that's the American dream now is to run to Puerto Rico. Yep. But what, what, what we did, we gave a quick overview, and I'm, I'm not going to go through every country because it's in this week's Digital Bytes, but we, we looked at, um, if you like, some things that are happening in Argentina, Brazil, even Cuba, which has only just recently rolled out internet connection on mobile phones. And we had to mention El Salvador because, obviously, um, you know they, they came out and were the first country, I think, in the world to adopt Bitcoin as um, legal tender. And they've got Bitcoin mines which are being powered off sort of volcanoes and thermal energy and that sort of stuff. Um, and then we just talked a little bit about what was going on in um, Panama. But um, as, as an overview, I, I think this whole thing around blockchain technology and the issuance of like virtual currencies, digital currencies for remittances. And that, that's been something which has been you know, a big driver in Latin America, as indeed it has been in Africa that we touched on in the past, um, because... The average fee for sending money, um, you know, in, in different countries, you know, and Brazil is by far the biggest um, recipient of um, money from overseas. So perhaps brothers, sisters, parents, family working overseas and then sending money back to Brazil. You know, that's that's a that's a big, you know, it's uh, you know, we're looking at somewhere in the order of the amount of money received just under nine billion dollars, um, according to New Day Crypto. And. And so, therefore, if you're paying an average fee of 7%, well, using a digital currency, you can cut that down to, you know, well under 1%. So that, that makes it, um, you know, re- really, really attractive as, as, a, as a way to send money. I think we've seen the average cost of remittance even in, if you look at Colombia, Dominican Republic, Guatemala, Honduras, Mexico and Peru, um, you know, even in 2001, it was still nudging around about the sort of 5%. So if you're sending money back to your loved ones, it makes a lot of sense to send it by a digital currency as opposed to using the traditional warehouses and banks and, and, and people like that. And that's assuming that your, that your friends and family in Latin America have a bank account because the penetration of um, banking isn't that great um, compared to um, certainly the USA. But if you've got a smartphone, then, um, you know, and they reckon something like 76 percent of people have a smartphone as opposed to only um, just under 70 percent of people actually have a bank account. So you're going to be able to reach more people and pay money to them um, cheaper. So that was I I thought there's some interesting stats there that we we managed to find about how we're seeing, if you like, the the role of blockchain and crypto adoption is sort of rolling out in, in Latin America, James. You know, I find it interesting um, with the average remittance back over in Brazil because the question is, why is Brazil so pro-crypto? It looks like they had the most dramatic effect on the average cost per remittance between that particular decade. Did you notice? Did you catch that graph? Yeah, yeah. So from 2011, it was costing nearly 14%. And then 2020, it came down to run about 6%. Right, so there they were affected the most dramatically, almost maybe yes. like a relief rally. Well, you've, you've also seen, um, I think it's Neobank, isn't it, in Brazil? It's one of the biggest um, sort of, um, well, new banks, digital banks in the world. Um, and it's done a fantastic job in terms of 
um, getting banking into sectors um, in Latin America, particularly in Brazil, making it much, much more inclusive. So I think that's that's certainly helped um, to really reduce the cost of those those transactions. And they saw a, a sweet spot. Now, all this according to the sort of World Bank. So these, these are numbers which, you know, if people want, they can um, look into this because we do all the verification of the facts, as you know, if we if we say something, it, it's backed up by a, a hot link to a publication or a website for those that are interested. We don't play with the numbers. No fake news here. Well, it's maybe El Salvador. I'm just saying. He was the wildest one on Twitter. You got to admit, he went a little. He he went very Elon Musk on Twitter. Yeah, he loves crypto, and the the jury's still out. The jury's still out in terms of you know wh- wh- whether that's actually going to be a a a real success. But allegedly, they've already spent over 105 million buying crypto uh, or buying Bitcoin. Um, so that's in the in the state sort of accounts. So they'll be hoping that Bitcoin actually has a rally, and they can then perhaps make a small turnout as well. Can you imagine Joe Biden on Twitter going, "Yes, don't worry, we bought the dip." <laughs> he probably thinks he has bought the dip. <laughs> he, he, I like dip. <laughs> I'll have a dip. You got any? Chi- you got any crisps to go with it, or chips to go with my dip? I quite like that. We didn't call them crisps back in my day. No, you call them chips, don't you? Sorry, we call them crisps here in here in Blighty. But uh... okay, so the other one we looked at was um, digital assets in vehicles. We 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 were talking just before we came on the air, and you said some of your friends call it Porsche, and I was saying, well, there's no R, it's Porsche. Well, it's more like an H, like a secret H on the end, is what I've heard is Porsche. I would Porsche. if this goes out on LinkedIn, I want I want to know. We should we should hold a poll. Is it Porsche or is it Porsche? I'm Porsche. telling you, I've been you Google it and you're going to find controversy. Oh, bound to be, bound to be. But but they're using crypto, right? Well, they they they've been using blockchain, um, using the technology, if you like, behind um, uh, that powers a lot of the cryptocurrencies. Okay. And they've been um, and a chap called uh, Oliver Doring, who's one of Porsche's sort of financial strategists. He said, we can use blockchain to transfer data in more quickly, secure, giving our customers more peace of mind in the future, whether they're charging, parking, or needing of a third party, such as a parcel delivery agent, temporary access to the vehicle. So presumably that's um, if the man from Amazon wants to get in your 911 to deliver some Krispy Kreme donuts or something like that, you can say, yep, you can come in and you can put the donuts on the on the seat. I assume that's what he's talking about, But but there you go. So I think it's... It's interesting. We touched a little bit on this last week. Arguably, vehicle manufacturers are becoming more like software developers as opposed to hardware. You know, it's less about the horsepower and the fuel efficiency and talking about your big ends and your rocker shafts and your cams. It's and what good engineers are and more about the user experience, because as we start seeing more and more electric vehicles, um, on the road, then people are going to be more interested in, well, what can it do and what's the user experience and has it got any other benefits? Like, you know, can I be sitting in my office and, you know, authorize someone to go and have access to my car um, to do X number of miles or drive within a certain distance or have it open to put a delivery in there? All those sorts of things you just couldn't do. And there was a really interesting article they were talking about BMW where they're now talking about having all of the optional extras actually put in the car. And then if you want to have, you know, certain features, then you can actually pay a fee, you know, traditional digital, and then it can have those features turned on. 
So rather than specifying the car and waiting a long, long time, have all different bespoke optional extras, they're all in the car, but it's whether you've paid to have access to them. And using smart contracts, say, well, you've actually only paid for, I don't know, the ability to have some sort of, um, I don't know, sensitivity in terms of the way the car performs in ice. Well, you're only going to pay for that in the winter um, because it's no point in the summer, you don't need it. So you pay a certain amount of money and it gets triggered in your winter time and then it's valid. So you will say more about that software development rather than necessarily the, the hardware in terms of pure engineering expertise. And you know, blockchain has a real role to play there because it can track and monitor. So when you go and buy a car, you can see, you don't take the seller's word for it. You could go on to an independent ledger and say, yep, I can see that car. It was had that option paid for, and I'm buying that car with that facility to do that, as well as all the other things in terms of has the car been involved in a crash? Does it actually really belong to this person? Has it was its maintenance record and, and all other bits and pieces like that? So as a Beamer owner, which has its own controversy with the word Bimmer, right? B-I-M-M-E-R if it's a car. Mm. But as an owner of one, I was, I don't know what's the word I'm, I'm looking for. Am I complacent? So they want to activate heated seats as a subscription. So what you yes. just said, you alluded to in the winter, I would want the heated seats, but I don't need them in the summer. And they want to make it a subscription-based process. And with what we were talking about in the article, I I have the BMW app in my phone. And I do think right. I use it, right? I activate the air conditioner before I get in the car and stuff like Pre-conditioning that. Preconditioning your EV. Yes. I've, I, I'm that guy. Oh, <laughs> if I could get in the car and it's already 60 degrees you know, Fahrenheit, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing that. So if I could see how blockchain would almost just be automatically in there right now and I wouldn't even realize it. Now, if you're going to charge me a fee for heated seats, you know, I, I did activate AM radio, by the way. I had to go and activate AM radio. You believe really? this? I don't know if I'm no. old or if the technology is new, but I should not have had to activate AM radio. But digital radio presumably came as free. The digital radio was free. The AM, yeah. the AM radio was free, I guess, but it was like you had to, it wasn't there for you. Yeah. Really weird. But that's going well, on. So, so if they're going to use blockchain, like you said, granting temporary access to the vehicle, perhaps my mechanic can move my car throughout the garage. But at the same time, if a crook or a criminal gets in the car, he's, he's up a river with no paddle. Yep. So that would be cool. Well, we, we've already seen this. I, I, I think we might mention this before. There has been a case of a, a, a criminal or certainly someone that wanted to break into a Tesla recently. And they actually got fined. Um, and got a sentence because the Tesla ha- has a, or this particular model had a, had a facility or a feature saying, this car is protected, please stand away from the vehicle. And the person just ignored it and the cameras went on and they caught this guy breaking into the Tesla. And that was used as evidence to convict the individual of, um, as you would call it, a felony, um, a crime. Um, and it was done all automatically. So, you know, we're seeing cars becoming not just about transporting from a to b um really quickly or really in a fuel efficient way but actually becoming arguably part of people's lives um and and really sort of odd things there's a canadian company called switch and it's using blockchain technology to enable vehicles to use the power in the car 
battery to put the power back into the national grid when the electricity demand is really high and recharge the car in the middle of the night when electricity demand is really low. So, you know, you're seeing almost cars being used as mini mini storage facilities, you could see, um, and helping to smooth out the flows within a country's national grid. Now, that's something they're going to have to get perfect, right? One software bug with that, you wake up in the morning and your car has been drained of all your battery. God, imagine that's an excuse to your boss. Well, I would come. I would come into work. But I, only your heated blanket last night drained my car, and now I can't come into work. I told you to stop running the air conditioner so hard. <laughs> That's interesting. But, yeah, it's called vehicle-to-grid technology. Basically, yeah. it's you know the Hyundais are doing it. I think all the new ones, in theory. I always had a blockchain business in mind where you could remotely charge other cars like a tow truck. The tow yeah. truck could... You ran out of battery power for whatever reason, like running out of gas. Tow truck shows up, plugs you in. Obviously, using blockchain or crypto or whatever, you just do the financial transaction right there. But that's what Switch would be using, that output of battery power. Yeah, you, you could easily see, easy see that. And this sort of thing is going to happen more and more. Um, I think as we, as we see the ability to sort of do peer-to-peer energy trading, if you like, between, between vehicles and the like. Decentralized so, you know, energy trading. There you go. Well, you know, may, maybe you're on a ferry, um, or maybe you know you're you know between the between London, between the UK and France, we have a train that goes under the Channel Tunnel, and you're sitting there for forty minutes. Well, why not be able to have plug in while you're going along? Um, these these things are coming, and and being able to play, and therefore you need to be able to track and trace, and you want to have a secure record. All of this stuff will start to come become more important. Um, you know, as as we see more people using electric vehicles and needing that sort of information. But uh, but James, I'm mindful we've got our friend uh, James Kaufman. He's not been on the Digital Bikes show before. He is a lawyer. Uh, he's a partner at Howard Kennedy, and we don't want to run into problems with um, our learned friend. Let's he's not upset about... him, no. No. He, well, he could bang you to rights otherwise. He could be sort of, uh, as they used to say in the in Hawaii Five O, book him Dano. Book him Dano. Yeah. So he, but he was talking about He's talking about, is decentralization the next evolution of UK financial regulation? And I know he's a little bit miffed with um, the UK regulator here, the FCA, um, and thinks that they do a lot more to encourage um, regulation and give some clarity around what's going on. Although I know he does have a bit of a soft spot, or not a soft spot, but he he appreciates it. The the UK regulator has got a tough job on their hands because we're all trying to get to grips with you know, digital assets and what they can or cannot do. And then on top of that, we've got, you know, the regulator's got to be up to speed with all the different ways people are using um, digital assets on an ongoing basis. But um, he's coming up after the break. And um, uh, just before we go, James, if if anyone obviously wants a copy of Digital Bytes, then they can just either go on to the Cyber.fm website or Team Blockchain. Um, You've done a great job in getting our website up to scratch. And we've got a link there. And then we can send you digital bytes every week and you'll get a physical copy of the written article that we do. And if you are interested, anyone out there, we also do a Chinese version. So one of our Chinese clients sends digital bytes via WeChat because there's certain countries in Asia that can't receive emails. So they send it out via WeChat, telling people in Asia how, where and why blockchain technology and digital assets are being used in different industries and different jurisdictions. So. So that's a shout out for our, our Chinese client that kindly does that for us every week. 
And then you'll know what we're talking about. Absolutely. And you can have our hyper hot links to verify that this is no fake news here. All right, let's bring my namesake in. Fantastic. We'll speak to you after the break. Thank you for listening. I am going to go drive my Porsche. Joey, you know you don't actually have one. Come on, what are you doing? I'm in character. Will you talk to her? Hi, this is John Waite, and you're listening to Cyber.fm. This podcast is brought to you by Howard Kennedy, featuring an article written by the lawyer James Kaufman. Is decentralization the next evolution of UK financial regulation? With continued growth and the reach of digital assets, how will financial regulation evolve? James summarizes the issues and challenges facing those looking to regulate, and he argues that rather than fight it, regulators need to embrace and learn from crypto and distributed ledger technology. Hi. Now, James, welcome to today's podcast. Um, I'm Johnny Fry, and um, you've written a really interesting article, James, about is decentralization decentralization the next evolution of UK financial regulation? And I get the impression, having read the article, that um, you think there's a bit of work to be done because there's, as you said, there's too many cooks potentially spoiling the broth. What, what do you mean by that? Well, hello, Johnny. Um, hello, James. Hello, everyone. Um, it, I, th- I think that the point is that um, the FCA, the, the UK May, um, Financial Conduct Authority, and the main regulator in the UK, um, who we would expect to be regulating all things relating to crypto, um, has sort of started, as many other financial regulators have started from, from a position of trying to understand what crypto is. When you've got other authorities, such as the tax authorities in, in the UK, that's the HMRC, um, otherwise known as just the revenue, um, who they've been quicker to pick up um, the thread because you know if, if there's an asset class there it's generating profits they'll want to tax it so they'll they'll get to it and we're seeing loads and loads of moving parts um i mean even just earlier uh, in the last couple of days the law commission um has published a paper on on digital assets and, and how they should be viewed from a legalistic perspective so you've got everyone looking at this new breaking area um which itself is fragmented because you've got crypto, you've got DLT, you've got DeFi, you've got NFTs. You, you, know, you, you get into this acronym and, and, and shorthand soup very quickly. Um, and then you've got all the different authorities that, have, that, are, that are looking at it from their angle. Um, and because the whole thing is moving so quickly, it's really difficult to get a handle on. And then you've also got these, these different authorities that don't necessarily move as quickly as... as um, as commercial enterprises, and you've also got the, these authorities and bodies that have their own, um, shall we say, agendas or, or, or things that matter to them, and that's colouring their thinking. Right. Okay, so you, 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 you've kicked off talking about the Law Commission report, which has come out towards the end of uh, July, um, yeah. when we sort of sit down and talk about this. Uh, and it was particularly interesting that um, they said, uh, and I'll just read their quote, which I thought was very interesting. We consider that the jurisdiction of England and Wales could become a global hub for digital assets, and in particular, crypto tokens and crypto token systems. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's a fairly, look, I've got to be honest, you know, not being rude to, you know, your fellow learned friends, but lawyers don't tend to put their neck on the line very often, do they? 
Yeah, but I think the Law Commission can. Well, first of all, lawyers don't like putting annex on the lines. We're, we're quite, we're quite, quite sort of defensive of annex. That that that's also rumor has it why lawyers like wearing ties so much so they can rot their neck. Um, but I, I mean, look, I think first of all, I think it's a relatively safe thing to stick your neck out on the line um, as, as comments go. And I think second of all, it's a relatively safe position that the law commission is in because they're not it 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 is so far to go down the journey to actually make that a reality from where they are with that report that i I don't think it's necessarily going to change anything but it but it's it's clearly aspirational it's also in line with the phraseology that we've been seeing from the former chancellor, I'll try saying that one again, the former chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, when he yeah. was talking about, and, and various other politicians, when they've been talking about wanting to make the UK um, a centre for, for for crypto and, and digital token activity. Um, I mean, re- really, I suppose, the outlier to all of that, however, are our friends at the FCA, um, not because they're saying anything different overtly, but because the barriers to entry that are currently in place to um, be an active participant in the in the regulated crypto market in the UK mean that it is a very challenging environment to come to. Now, th- there's clearly an argument that well, you know, not just anybody should be allowed in and there is risk associated with entering into the market. So therefore we need we need to be defend we need to have, have robust controls. Uh, yeah, and we can we can argue both sides as we wish. Um, but in terms of the the rhetoric, it's quite clear that the political rhetoric is saying one thing and the regulatory position is is not necessarily entirely in line, I think, with that political rhetoric. Okay, and and, and as you say in your article, it, it seems that the, um, to use your words, that the, the rhetoric seems to be driven largely by fear. Um, you know, let's be honest. Sort well, of, the, the rhetoric from the regulator. From the regulator. Because, from the regulator. Yeah, six, months, yeah. six months ago, you know, if, if you're down at the pub or at a dinner party or, you know, hanging out in the metaverse somewhere, you'd all be gloating and saying, oh, I've made a fortune on my on yeah. my sort of digital assets. And now you're going, oh, my goodness, I've lost a load of money. Uh, and, and the regulator, you know, they're there. Actually, the FCA are not there to make law. They're there to make sure that they maintain confidence in the financial situation and make sure that the um, financial markets certainly are to protect investors. And, and bizarrely, it's the politicians that make laws and, the, and then the regulator yeah. are actually there to implement and make sure those laws are adhered to. But we see yeah, so, so, so they're not even making they're not making the laws they're not even always making the regulations that they apply in many cases and I, I i touched upon this in the article they can't even make the regulations that they're going to be observing because that that falls under the aegis of of the treasury which is the uk's finance ministry and the um, head of the treasury is the chancellor exchequer who's come out and he's well ex-chancellor yeah. you say but may maybe our soon prime minister who knows um, who, who, who knows? He could be listening to this, and he could, he could have been, you know, he, he could have been prime. He could be prime minister. He could be yesterday's person. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Or he who, could who, be prime minister, and then yesterday's person. The right, we're going through prime ministers. Maybe, maybe he could be a special advisor to Howard Kennedy. Who knows? It's like revolving doors, isn't it? 
Oh, well, you, you know, that, that, you're talking about promotion. That, that, is, that is top of the tree. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so some people can only dream of that. Um, <laughs> so, sorry, where were we? Um, yeah, so I, it, it's... There seems a disconnect, got, James. I suppose you've, that's you've really... Got the, you've got this disconnect. For sure, you've got this disconnect. But when, when I mean, you talked about the fear. What, 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 you've also got, what we also have to bear in mind is that none of this is coming in a vacuum. So the financial service, the financial conduct authority, is coming from a situation where trust in regulatory authorities, particularly in the UK. I mean, I, I think you can see this all over the world, but I'm just a, 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 a humble um, UK-based lawyer, um, so I can only look at it sort of through the UK institutions. But trust in financial authorities and in um, financial institutions has been very low post-credit crunch and, and beyond, really. Yep. And we're also living in a society where um, dissemination of information becomes very, very quick, and people are very quick to highlight, um, for instance, where they have lost money or, or something along those lines. And we then also are living in, a, in an age where there have been a number of quite pu- well-publicised, certainly in financial circles, um, issues or problems in the UK fin- regulated financial markets and f- financial services sector, which has led the FCA to be under a huge amount of scrutiny, both in the court of public opinion and within the the political sphere as well. And so we've had we've had um, questions about um, alleged mis-selling of various um, retail financial products products that shouldn't have necessarily been sold to consumers and people in the street that ended up being sold to them. We've had failures of various businesses and various funds and various institutions, all of which the, the systems and controls either didn't, didn't necessarily function properly or the compensation structure, the automatic compensation structures that were in place didn't operate properly. So in other words, or, or they operated properly, these just were outliers to, to that system. In other words, there is this perception from the outside, and there has recently been a change of leadership and executive leadership at the FCA within the past couple of years. And it is not beyond, I think, reasonableness to assume that the people that have come in have been brought in with it ringing in their ears that you know we don't want any more um issues we don't want any more high profile failures so when i'm talking about there being a fear it's it's a it's a concern that you know there's already been enough erosion of trust we have to behave in an ultra conservative manner to avoid there being any recurrence of an event which makes the person in the street or if you want to be really cynical, the voter in the street, distrustful of the financial regulatory system. Yeah. Jane, I, I get that. My, my shared frustration that I know you, you have is that, um, you know, and to, 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 you know, up to now, all we've been doing is talking about crypto regulation, but there's yeah. a lot more behind the technology that powers these cryptocurrencies to enable the digitization of a whole raft of, um, oh, for sure. And, you know, in, in terms of direct equities, debt instruments, real estate, commodities, even national currencies, they all 
rely on the technology of, of something called blockchain. And there you've got the technology being used and creating digital assets, but they mm. get put into the same bucket um, saying, oh, well, it's a digital asset, it's a crypto, and therefore, no, it's too difficult to understand. But when you start using technology, potentially, you can improve the risk structures, systems and characteristics of the markets. Because well, well, and that, that's what's really exciting. And you could see a situation once the regulators get their heads around it, they'll actually be embracing this as opposed to at the moment. They seem to be shiting, um, shiting fi- fighting shy even. I'm, I'm not going to comment on, 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 that, on, on that position. Um, I, I, I mean, look, you've touched on something really, really interesting in talking about the different, um, the different types of um, functionality that blockchain and, and distributed ledger technology allows you. Um, yeah, and we've, we've briefly talked about the Law Commission um, work. One of the things that jumps out immediately, sort of from the headline from the Law Commission piece, is that they're already wanting to capture NFTs within their new concept of digital assets. Contrast that with the FCA's position, which, you know, certainly as of the date in which we're talking, the FCA are on record as saying, well, you know, NFTs are a separate part of the cryptoverse. And I'm not something that we're even thinking about regulating unless well, they I, exhibit the characteristics of being an exchange token or, or a security token. But, well, as, but as our colleagues in or our old friends in Europe, the absolutely. EU regulations have also carved NFTs out. But if you look at the FCA definition, I, and I've, I've had a few sort of runnings with yeah. a couple of different lawyers about this. If you look at the FCA definition on crypto assets, you know, it's, it's information data stored on a distributed ledger technology system. So well, why are NFTs outside? Yeah, but so NFTs should be very much inside the camp, not yeah, out. Absolutely. absolutely. But, but this, this comes down. Where I, coming from. I think this comes down, though, to us. And this was really sort of where I started in my thought process in, in penning the article. It comes down to the fact that through necessity, let's, you know, I'm not, this isn't about casting blame or anything like that, but no, through no. necessity, the regulators have thus far been working on a regulatory system for crypto assets, let's call them crypto assets for now, but but in, in the broader sense, that's been framed in old world language, in traditional financial Absolutely. instruments, in, in in a world where you have you have sort of technology but technology is agnostic or or the financial regulator is famously in the uk technology agnostic they don't view technology as being a core part Mm -hmm. of the act not not the process they've always accepted it's part of the process but they don't view it as a core part of the asset class and actually the reason why i sort of came up with this idea of is decentralization the next evolution it is because the interconnectedness that that blockchain and P2P and, 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 and all of these technologies, and, and when you get into, and that leads very quickly on sort of Web3 and, and IoT and all of those things in that direction of travel, it no longer makes sense to neatly bucket everything, or you're not able to neatly bucket everything, both in terms of the regulatory sphere, in terms of you know, there's sort of regulated crypto and unregulated crypto and good crypto and bad crypto. It, 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 it doesn't work. 
yeah. To, to, yeah. to break it down like that. The same way it doesn't work, and this is touching on what, on what the Law Commission, I think, is, is getting at, it doesn't work to be thinking in terms of national borders. Because no. crypto, as we all know, blockchain, as we all know, is geography agnostic. That's one of the beauties of it. So we, we've got to and break that is the away challenge. I think from the old... It's a challenge for everybody. It's a challenge. It is, you, know, it's, you know, the idea of today's podcast isn't to try and bash any one party or entity organisation, but but really to draw out some of the some of the different stances that seem to be taken in the UK. And I, I know there's a lot of frustration here in the UK from institutional level um, that want to get engaged in sort of crypto activities. And we're seeing, you know, a n- number of firms, you know, good example, only just recently we've seen Barclays Bank taking a stake in, in, a, in a crypto platform, Copper. So we know institutions want to get engaged, but it's very difficult when they don't get clarity with the regulators, but the regulators are, are still trying to get their heads around to make sure they don't do the wrong thing. So it's, it's quite... Well, well I, I, think, I, I think you're right there, Johnny, but I think there's also an element that the regulator is unable to give the level of clarity that perhaps the regulator would like to give or we might expect the regulator to be giving because I don't think it's even clear to the regulator how to be regulating this. You know, um, to give you, let me give you an example of of what I mean. We recently had in the UK that there is an area, part of the the part of part of crypto that is regulated is um, in relation. If you're carrying out certain crypto related activities in the UK, you might not necessarily need to be fully FCA regulated, but you need to be um, registered with the FCA for anti money laundering purposes. So it's it's sort of slightly on the side of the regular FCA's work. It's not a full FCA application in, in the standard sense of it, but it's a money laundering, um, anti-money laundering application. And any any business that's engaging in in certain transactions, typically sort of fiat to crypto, crypto to fiat, in, in the UK needs, needs to be registered with the FCA. Now, we've seen a large number of applications. We've seen large numbers of delays. It's all been documented in the FCA dealing with those applications. And we've also seen very low levels of acceptance. And it seems to be, amongst other things, one of the reasons why there has been this this lag has been because the FCA has very grave concerns, understandably so, about the skill set and the expertise of the designated individuals at these entities that are going to be responsible for money anti-money laundering reporting. And, and compliance with the rules. And the FCA's position, one can imagine, is, you know, how, how, do, how do you know that you at the firm have somebody in place who has sufficient knowledge both of the regulations and of how crypto works, and both are quite new, um, and can meld them together to operate in a way which we as a regulator would expect them to do in a way that is safe okay. and 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 acceptable in the market. But if you then throw that forward and you then ask the question, you can turn it on its head and say, how do you at the regulator know how to make the rules and how to police these rules? How do you know what to look at? And and so to a degree, um, I do have a large amount of sympathy with the plight of the FCA who, you know, I I, I can't speak for other jurisdictions, but certainly in the UK, there is there is this culture of loving to bash the FCA if 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 you're involved in regulation because everything is always their fault. Um, but th- there is this culture of of us bashing the FCA, but actually they're in a really tricky situation as well because they're having to grapple with this 
and they're having to think it in all sorts of ways that you know they were unexpected. I, 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 I yes, I, I do agree with that. But I also, yeah, you know, the reality is, if you're um, in the art market or selling, you know, cars or um, or even real estate, you know, something really boring like a three hundred twenty-six trillion dollar asset class, which is what real estate is, mm-hmm. you have to make sure you carry out AML checks, anti-money laundering checks, before you transact with, you know, certain of your clients. But they haven't set up the FCA property register or the FCA car register. That they, they, but they have done so for crypto. But, but, so, but so, Johnny, the difference—the difference is—and I can't actually believe I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm on a podcast and I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm taking this stance. Um, but hopefully, it, it shows shows my dexterity. Um, <laughs> but the, the difference is, you know, and I know, and everyone in the world knows what real estate is. We know what a painting is. We know what fine wine or 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 or, 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 yeah. or a car is. Crypto. We just don't know. <laughs> and you can't even say, you don't know, I don't know what it is, but I can touch it. Because you can't even touch it. <laughs> well, it's, you got, come on, James, you've got to get with it. This is the new digital, digital environment. You don't need to touch it. You just need to know it's there in the ether, surely. Look, look, I have to explain <laughs> to people that I'm still a, uh, you know, we still have DVDs at home. Because I, I still have this concept. You haven't got his master's voice where you have to wind it up with the big sort I'm of... I'm not quite as bad as that. And I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not one of the people that's got a vinyl collection. But <laughs> I can, I still can't, I'm still having difficulty getting my head around the idea that I can subscribe to a streaming service where I can download and get access to any show or, or movie that I want without actually sort of owning the physical copy. So, you know, and I'd like to think I'm relatively... Um, you know, clearly, if you were to speak to 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 my, I bet your kids, she would would tell you otherwise. I like to think I'm relatively open-minded and forward-thinking, but you know, let's let's not gloss over the speed of change that we've seen, and it has been very quick. Yeah, and and it seems to evolve. You know, it was it was only what four years ago everyone was talking about the Information Commission officer, uh, sorry, ICOs, Initial Commission um, coin offerings, and and then it went into sort of. STOs, and then then suddenly we we started seeing things like NFTs and DeFi and in yeah. stable coins, and it's, there's been a lot to and, be fair. And don't forget that within NFTs as well, you know, yeah, yeah, NFTs is a, is a great one because within NFTs, there are NFTs are NFTs and NFTs that aren't NFTs, aren't there? Because there are some where they they just sort of falling, they're dumping on the bandwagon because they're actually just using the name, but actually you look onto it and the asset isn't actually stored on the blockchain at all. <laughs> It's just, you know, it's sort of a quasi-NFT. Yeah, no, very, very, very true. Very true. Um, James, I'm, I'm getting the other James in, in my other ear saying to me, we're, we're mindful of time. So, so, James, in America, I appreciate that you're more sort of US-centric, but any thoughts of a couple of Brits rabbiting on like this about UK regulation? Anything spring to mind that you think we ought to be mindful of? You guys went on and on and on. <laughs> I gave you the whole show, which is good. Because you opened up my eyes a little bit. I'm I'm over here in the U.S. and you know, we deal with. A, I understood and I related to a lot of what you were talking about. With you know, we have the SEC, we have Finra, we have the OCC, and and we have the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS. More acronyms than I know what to do with. And and the argument has always been over here: who controls what, who gets mm. to make this decision? Because like for example, the OCC and the SEC. Could say completely opposite things at times, and 
It's like, do you, do you people even talk to each other sometimes? Do you know what you're yeah. saying? I, I feel like I had an aha moment listening to James. Because, you know, people named James are really smart by default. I had this aha moment. Maybe we should be regulating the on-ramps and the off-ramps locally, right? Because we're global, we're universal. Mm. You can say we're agnostic with blockchain or any sort of distributed ledger technology, which is not just blockchain. And I'm not going to get into the NFTs versus crypto thing because I'm on board. (laughs) NFTs are literally crypto. But if we were to regulate, why wouldn't the United States say, okay, we have these AML rules. We have, you know, your customer and you have to, you have to have a bit license like in New York and Georgia. Um, but you should be allowed to trade and make your crypto or earn your crypto or anything you want with crypto anywhere in the world. It's on you to figure out how to get back home. That probably would resolve the entire regular. I bet you the UK and the EU and the US and everybody else would just agree and go, well, that makes sense. I don't think they would. Well, I think I they should. I don't know. They, they may should. not. They should. They should, but they should, but I don't think they would because there's, there's also a tur- there's also sort of like a turf war here, isn't there? There's yes. the, you know they they're, they're they're approaching this very much as old uh, as old invest in old investment sort of mindset, and it's you know we, we this is this is uh, this is what we do, and this is what what we what we monitor, and this is what we're going to um, this is what what we're going to be regulating. I mean, I mean, look the 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 US. The U.S. in many ways has taken a more enlightened view towards crypto, for sure. Of course, it has. Um, and you know, what, one of the things that I'd expect any anybody in any jurisdiction other than the U.K. for their reaction to be following Johnny's and my discussion is, you know, for them to be rubbing their hands and licking their lips as sort of, you know, you know, well, there's an opportunity here for our jurisdiction because the U.K. seems to be making heavy weather of it, um, but. I, I mean, I think I think the thing is, in the states, they took a very different view, where they sort of it started with a Howie test, or, or and I appreciate I'm not a US lawyer, and I'm going on slightly off piece here, but it's what I what I like to refer to as the duck test. In as much as if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. If it looks like an investment and it and it reacts like an investment, and you make money from it like an investment, it's an investment, and we should treat it like that. And let's not get bogged down in the technology and the and what lies underneath. But the fact is, you're speculating in it. Let's treat it as, as, as an investment. And that freed up the market so much more. Yeah, and that Howie test is also 85 years old now. So you're right about, you know, the old ways, but it is clear. I, I, I thought the article was great being outside of your area. I was like, all right, you're going through all the same stuff we're going through. We're not crazy. Okay. Well, or, or maybe maybe we are all crazy. Well, certainly James T and I fall into that category, and I'm convinced of that. But, but look, James, thank you very much um, for, for the article and joining us today on the Had Candy podcast. And um, hopefully we'll be back soon with, with an update. And, and maybe we need to look at, um, you know, maybe another three or four months' time and see how things settle down on the back of the Law Commission. And there is a lot of work, as I'm sure you're aware, behind the scenes, both with the regulators, with the... Bank of England and the government and uh, joking apart, maybe the changing prime minister, we're going to see 
um, either the brakes put on or, or more impetus, which I think is probably more likely given the tax and the jobs that the digital asset area can clearly create. And, you know, it looks like the economy is going to be well in need of more revenue, if at all possible. Absolutely. And, and let's hope so. But it, it's certainly another aspect of this very exciting, very dynamic, very quickly evolving area. Um, and one which, you know, is keeping us all very much on our toes to try and sort of figure out what what, what to make of it. Brilliant. OK, well, th- thanks very much. And as I say, we'll be, we'll be back soon with, with another podcast from Howard Kennedy. Thank you. Thanks. This podcast was brought to you by Howard Kennedy. If you want more information on the article or reaching out to James, you can email him, james.kaufman, K-A-U-F-M-A-N-N, at howardkennedy.com.